0: This is episode number 135 with Lila Jana of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning? It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration
1: of human potential. Now. 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 now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey there, my fellow founders. Welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan. And I'm coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. I'm the host of the Founder Podcast and the CEO of Founder Magazine. So what's been happening in uh, my world? Uh, working hard, working on many different projects. Uh, for those of you that have supported the Founder version 1.0 physical coffee table book, that is on track. It is on track to go live in April, so we will be shipping it to you guys, and uh, for those of you guys that didn't want to support us on Kickstarter, you will be able to purchase the book if you want to go to foundermag.com forward slash book, so that's all happening, we're working on an amazing secret e-commerce project. Uh, If you want to start an online business, you want to know how to start, in particular, a physical product-based business, we've found someone that's probably one of the best out there, definitely in Australia, uh, that we're teaming up with, and uh, she's an absolute superstar, so if you want to know how to launch your online business, you, you know, want to start a business, don't know where to start, thinking about a physical product. You can find out more if you sign up to the waiting list and uh, you'll be notified when uh, this product comes out. But pretty much it will be a step-by-step in-depth course. And uh, if you want to know more, you can go to foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce. So that project's really exciting. I know it's going to really help a big problem for a lot of you guys in the community. I'm really excited about that. We're scaling up content We're actually going to open up the Founder blog. So if people do want to start contributing, please do get in touch. Uh, You can contact our support team at support at foundermag.com. We're looking for amazing contributors. Please note we're looking for the best kind of content. It has to be super in-depth, but we'd love for you to share your experience and uh, you know, write a really in-depth piece that can really help our community. That's one thing I'm really excited about. We're really scaling up content. And um, another thing that we're doing is rolling out a new version of the website. So it's 3.30 a.m. and uh, I'm hustling hard recording these episodes just before I go to the States. It's uh, early March. All right, so now let's talk about today's guest on the show, Leela Jana. Now... She's an absolutely incredible entrepreneur and she's trying to fight poverty right now and she's built this amazing social enterprise. She's built a couple of companies actually, one called Sama Group, another called Luxme, but they all revolve around giving and making an impact on the world and uh, she is a force to be reckoned with and if you guys want to know anything about social enterprise, how she started tips for getting started, how to do good, how to build a business that has a a business model that uh, can be, you know, for profit, uh, still for profit, but you know, has an element of social good attached to it. I always find these, um, you know, speaking to entrepreneurs that do this kind of stuff quite interesting because, you know, um, a lot of the uh, entrepreneurs and founders that we interview are mainly for profit, but, uh, you know, no social element attached to it, to the business model. So um, she's a very, very famous founder, very, very well renowned for her work. Uh, she's absolutely killing it. All right, now let's jump to the show. So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job?
1: <laughs> so uh, I created my job. I uh, was 25 and I quit my my job at a management consulting firm two months before I was supposed to receive my end of year bonus, which in retrospect was not such a great move. And I uh, had this dream of starting a basically a a new model for digital work that would involve training really low-income people to do basic tasks on the internet so that they could move out of poverty and companies could get their work done. And this was the beginning of the outsourcing era, so we were just starting to see the rise of call centers and these types of big outsourcing operations, and I thought we could make this industry relevant uh, for low-income people and use it to, to transform people's lives in very, very poor regions of the world. So I started it and it took years before I finally was able to earn any sort of salary. And now eight years later, we have a really amazing business that um, employs over 1,100 people. And we've helped over 33,000 people move out of poverty.
0: Wow. That's incredible. So... I guess the first question I'm going to ask, is we get a lot of requests um, from from a lot of people in our community to ask around, you know, social enterprise and, and how can people start to create, an, I guess, uh, a business that has an element of impact in their model as well. So what advice would you have for someone that wants to start a social enterprise?
1: So I guess the first piece of advice is um, – find a real problem. So I think in our case, I believe that there are two sort of core foundational problems from which everything else stems. One of them is extreme poverty. And another one of them is um, climate change. So if you can, so to me, a lot of things, really awful things that happen in um, many parts of the world, like sex trafficking, and childhood malnutrition are you know, they have their root cause in poverty. So I would say like, try to find a problem that is as close as possible to a root cause problem. And then secondly, find a solution that works for a particular group of people who experience that problem. And you can start in a small way with like a a local group that you know well, because you really need to understand the problem from every angle and, and ensure that you have a solution that's unique to that population the challenge with the social enterprise is you're trying to do that, which is one business. And at the same time, figure out a way to earn revenue from that. And often the things that solve a social or environmental problem are not highly profitable. So you have Mm. basically two business models that you're creating one business model for creating some sort of social or environmental change and another business model for, for, uh, you know, earning enough money to do that sustainably. So it's, I'd say it's harder. It's, probably twice as hard as starting an enterprise that doesn't have the give back component
0: got you and can you tell us about you know the different groups and the different um i guess businesses that you have underneath the sama group you have sama source the school the hope um alex mi which is that's not part of the group that's a separate organization correct
1: yeah so we we actually um We started off with SamaSource, which is still our main kind of focus today and where we've seen the largest impact. We then um, experimented a little bit and we tried out something called SamaHope. We were the first ever crowdfunding site for medical treatments globally. We launched in 2012 and funded 16,000 patient treatments, ranging from fistula repair for Women who are suffering from fistula uh, to um, safe birth kits. So it was a pretty, pretty transformational website for many people. And we merged it with Johnson & Johnson's caring crowd platform last year because we wanted to be able to focus on our core impact sourcing business. So impact sourcing is the core of what we do at Sama Group, and that involves giving people work as a path out of poverty. And we focus on doing that in the digital space with sama source sama school is a training program that we launched a couple of years ago targeting disadvantaged communities here in the us that are in rural or disconnected areas that don't have a chance to to contribute meaningfully to the economy so we started it off uh, around the country and we've trained um, over twenty five thousand people now through our um, Samaschool.org, this like tech platform that we built to host our content there and so that's training to enter the digital economy. And we started in the U.S. and then expanded that globally. So Source is the work side and Sama School is the training side. And they're both part of the nonprofit organization. So it's they're not two separate companies. They're just two programs. And then lastly, we have Luxme, which launched this year in retail stores at Sephora stores and on QVC nationwide here in the U.S. And Luxme is a new luxury skincare brand based on the same idea of giving work. So we give work through the supply chain to low-income people, and the products are made of rare organic ingredients that are safe enough to eat.
0: Yeah, wow. That's incredible. Um, so it sounds like you're pretty busy. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it's just really these two companies, it's Sama and, and Luxme, and uh, yeah, that does keep me pretty busy.
0: Mm. Interesting. So what is your biggest challenge right now to, to manage all these companies and to keep them moving forward?
1: I'd say our the biggest challenge is always like finding great people and doing more with less. Like we're always trying to be scrappy and entrepreneurial and not burn through tons of cash. We became profitable this year at Samasource off of our earned income as a as a nonprofit, which is really rare in the nonprofit world and and very hard to do. And and we only got there because we we took a very different approach of just being extremely extremely cash conscious and investing a little bit less in some of the R&D initiatives and some of the new projects and um, getting more focused with Luxme. We're trying to change the way that people think about luxury. And so we have a, a focus on basically luxury that gives back to the supply chain and luxury that's natural and organic. And so the biggest focus there is just driving awareness and sales. So I've been, hopefully you'll mention it in the newsletter and you can put a link to, um, to our website. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. It's Luxme LXMI.com.
0: Gotcha. Also, yeah, I didn't know how it was pronounced. I, I, to be honest, hadn't heard of that company yet until recently when I was doing more research about you. So, um, can you tell me, uh, actually around, you know, you, you said that you guys, um, are profitable with summer source how does that work? Cause, cause wouldn't every, every, you know, dollar that you guys make, wouldn't you want to put back to fuel growth?
1: Yes, that's what we mean. So, but we're profitable, meaning that we are not at the end of the year, we have a surplus that goes back into growth.
0: Gotcha. Oh, that's that incredible. So, yeah. No, yeah. that makes a hundred percent. This
1: is the first year we have that. Um, and that's because we have this business model of earned revenue contracts.
0: Gotcha. I see. And, um, when it comes to you know being an entrepreneur, what like how what what are some great productivity hacks? Because I think you know I know you're an incredibly busy person. You've got so many people that want your time. What are some things that you're doing to really maximize and, and get leverage?
1: To maximize my time and get leverage. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the number one lesson I've sort of learned doing these running businesses is that um, you're only as strong as as your team. And I've kind of learned to hire people who are better than me at pretty much everything I used to do. And I have to keep doing that to be, to run a good company. So should always be on the hunt for people who are more talented than you, who are, you know, going to bring, bring something totally new and important to the company and then figure out how to not get in their way too much. Um, so I guess we have a strategy of divide and conquer. And I kind of have learned what I do best and try to stick to doing that. and make sure that I'm helping slash not getting in the way of really, really great people that we hire. Gotcha. But it's not always easy. And I think you also have to, you know, it's it's hard to find your sweet spot of people that you really trust. I think I was maybe a little too trusting in the beginning and then too disappointed if people didn't meet the expectations I had.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because, you know, um, one thing I'm learning is is if you don't if you don't let people know what success looks like, it can be difficult for them to meet your expectations. So, is that something that you're actively doing amongst all of your companies now?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have pretty clear like KPIs, um, pretty clear objectives for each goal for each for each person, and then we use Slack, uh, which has changed the game completely for teams that have a lot of remote people. Like with Sama, we have people in Kenya, in the Netherlands. Um, we're opening up a center in India across the U S on the East coast and the West coast. And then we have some people who work remotely. So Slack is like the only way to keep track of all these communications. Um, We have, we have a team right now from Kenya in Beirut and Lebanon working on a, um, an interesting project. So the only way to keep track of stuff, I think is, is that kind of constant communication and for each person to have pretty clear measurable goals. And I just look at the people who report into me and what they're able to do. And even on a quarterly basis, it's tough to manage people who have, bigger picture objectives. So you have to kind of look at things on, a, on an annual basis or, a, you know, once every six months basis to see if people are on track. And that's, of course, once you get to the senior levels.
0: You're known as quite the visionary um, in, in the media and you're, you're changing the world. And I'm, I'm just really curious to delve a little bit deeper, like where, where has this stemmed from?
1: I don't know. I guess my father, um, my father went to Jesuit school his whole life in India. And kind of grew up with the Jesuit values. Um, I'm not Catholic, but I have this image of St. Francis in my office. And I really do believe that we are personally served when doing things for others. It makes us happier. And the world is served when we think about doing things for others and doing things beyond sort of the narrow confines of our own selves and ego. So I guess I do it selfishly in a way because I feel better about myself when I do this work. And I also find it really intellectually and ethically interesting. I think if I were working for a typical big company and making that company more money, I wouldn't have the same satisfaction that I feel doing what I do now. And I also think there are a number of ways that you can both earn a decent living and do good work in the world. I don't think you have to starve um, or live like Mother Teresa in order to do important things that, that change the world for the better.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's that seems to be a common thing amongst um, you know, people are saying non for profits or social enterprises that we do speak to. It's yeah, it's not like you just described. So I'm also curious. Um, like you must have a ton of ideas, like you know, crazy ideas and all these things that you want to do. Um, as a visionary, how do you know what to choose and what to choose next when you talk about dividing and conquering?
1: How do I choose what to do next? I mean, I guess I would say. Um you know, I know what the annual goals are. And so whatever is, whatever's is an obstacle in achieving that goal is what I focus on. So if we have a sales goal and we're not hitting that goal and constantly thinking, okay, what's going to drive sales? Like, how do I get around that? And I kind of prioritize based on where I think the fire is. And if, the, the, if we're kind of hitting the goals and there are no fires, then then I have the luxury of focusing on where, where are things really working well? Can we accelerate? So for example, you know, if we're hitting all of our, with Sama, we've had a banner year, we exceeded our targets. And so now I'm thinking, okay, so if this is working well, you know, this, I've studied kind of what works well. And then the next step is to just like put the gas on that. (laughs) So it's a, it's a constant balance of switching between the two.
0: Gotcha. And when it comes to, you know, projects, do you guys ever find, because you're a visionary, because, you know, you're thinking so far ahead and you've got all these crazy ideas and amazing game-changing ideas, have you do you ever find that you have too many projects going on at one point in time?
1: Definitely. That was kind of one of the biggest um, things I learned out of the Sama Hope experiment we did. So I, I am very happy we did it because I think it was super important to – super important to launch that. And at a time when no one else did, and then several other sites came, you know, got developed and competed with us. And that to me was evidence that this was an important thing to do. And, and also evidence that we could merge with, with someone else who's doing this and not keep running it. So I think one of our approaches to iteration has been, let's try something, see what happens, manage the return on investment really carefully, keep, you know, keep a separate, PL for that, so make sure we know how much we're spending on it. It's not just blended back into the whole organization, and then you know set some goals. And if it doesn't hit the goals, shut it down or spin it out. Or um, I mean, even if it does hit the goals, you can spin it out and, uh, and kind of see what happens. So I think companies like ours have to constantly be doing some R and D. The trick is to figure out what is really core to your mission and what is not, and to focus on to focus the R and D on what is core. And I think what we learned is that Samahope while it was so important to do, was not really core to our mission of bringing work to people through the digital economy. And so that's why we spun it out. I mean, we could have probably grown it a lot more, but it it just seemed like it would distract us from, from the other work that we were doing and getting a lot of notice for.
0: I see. And, you know, because um, one thing, and I'm being a little bit selfish here asking questions myself, you know, I have so many crazy ideas and, and um, I felt that you know, uh, within the company, founder right now, we're doing too many projects, and and I see that you you must experience this too. Like, how do you know if you're doing too many projects? How do you know how far you can push? You know, with with, with your team and stuff like that.
1: I think you have to ask your team and trust them. And I didn't always trust them. I think I I waited. You know, I think I, I did burn some people out in the early days, and it was through some trial and error that I realized that that was not the right thing to do. Um, and if you if you really do trust the people you've hired and think they're the very best, and if they tell you that they're burning out or they tell you that we need to focus more, that's a good indication that you probably should. And I tend, to, I think that there are just in general, two types of people, um, yes people and no people. <laughs> and yes, people share really similar tendencies. They tend to be a little bit hypomanic. They're often entrepreneurs. They're often creative types. You know, designers or artists or musicians or writers. Um, they they share both an artistic temperament and a predisposition towards being open to new ideas. And those types of people tend to get really excited about new ideas and change and get bored if they're doing the same thing over a long period of time. The second category of people are no people. Those are often people in finance, in operations, um, <laughs> who are um, not entrepreneurs. And I think they are typically logical, you know, rational thinkers who approach things pretty sequentially, who like following routine, and who are more risk and change averse. So I think that any company is best served by having a mix of both of those types of people. And I learned, I learned that. By, by surrounding myself with people who are some people who are no people and some people who are maybe more mild yes people than I am, that will eventually arrive at the right decisions by having these checks and balances within the company.
0: Mm, that's that's really interesting. And can you tell us a little bit more about your hiring process? Like you talked about trust, you talked about yes and no people, well, no people and entrepreneurial types. Can you, yeah, tell us more about your hiring process and, and what you look for to really retain and, and, and find great talent?
1: Yes, we we've used recruiters in the past, but we try to hire from our network. Um, so we we do a lot of like social sharing, and then we also have used LinkedIn a lot, where we, you know, we we do targeted reach out on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Okay, interesting. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up because uh, I know you have to finish up uh, soon. So. I've uh, got a couple more questions around uh, just your your experience as an entrepreneur, um, because you've had an incredible amount of success in uh, the small amount of time you've been working on the Sama Group. I'm curious, what are like, you know, you know, a couple of pieces, you know, the biggest lessons that you've learned from your journey as a founder that you could share with our audience? And then um, lastly, yeah, where's the next best place people can find you or your work?
1: So um, the best Place they can find me is um, on Facebook. I'm just Facebook.com/slash/LilaJana, and they can also subscribe to my newsletter, which is at luxme, Lxmi.com. And I write like roughly once a week about um, what's happening in startup land. Actually, let me take that back. The best newsletter is my website, <laughs> LilaJana.com. Um, that's where I send out my regular updates. And yeah, I guess my, my parting advice is to realize that we are given an incredibly short amount of time on the planet and we got to make every minute count.
0: Love it. Awesome. Well, look, we'll wrap there, but, um, thank you so much for your time, Lila. and, uh, yeah, keep up the incredible work that you're doing. If there's anything else we can do to help, um, yeah, here for you.
1: Thank you so much. Hey guys,
0: I hope you enjoyed this interview